No. Do you remember when you first got hired on? I took a picture for you on the website. Oh. <laughs> what was wrong with that photo again? Your head looked tiny. <laughs> what, a, what a morale boost to start off the pod. Head. All right. Let's just make fun of Jacob. That's okay. Nothing better. Yeah. No, it's good. All right. For the first time ever with a live studio audience. <laughs> a whopping one person. A whopping one person. <laughs> Welcome back to... Season two, episode three of From the Ridge. And although if you listened to last podcast, you may have gotten a teaser that we'll have somebody else on the pod to your disappointment. Jacob Pirro is back, our spiritual formations and discipleship pastor. This is a rough start. Tough start. I'm I'm taking heat here. He's taking some flack. But you know what, Jacob? We are glad you're back. Thrilled to be back, Nathan. I'm glad you are excited to be back on the show. Uh, We're going through... Uh, sermon number three of our series, mm-hmm. uh, and people are catching on. We got a number of questions come in this we week. We did. Uh, and uh, the topic of this past message, Fred preached Sunday, was sin. Yeah. Lovely topic. Um, doesn't always feel good to talk about, mm-hmm. but there is much relief when we do realize yeah. about what we've been freed from. So, mm-hmm. Jacob, do you just want to give us the coldest notes of Cold Fred's notes. message from Sunday? Well... Uh, Genesis chapter three is where we hung out, uh, where we learned about the fall of man. We learned about, um, what sin is and how we see through the act of eating of the apple from Adam and Eve, this stepping out of alignment with what God had instructed and how he had created them to live. Um, and then we kind of see the cosmic consequences of that. Um, in terms of the curses that are pronounced upon Adam and Eve and the serpent mm. and the ultimate implication of them being kicked out of the garden from that, as we've been talking about, that shared space between God and man, um, they could no longer dwell within that. And so they were kicked out. Um, and, this, yeah. and this curse is uh, across humanity. We've yeah. all been impacted by sin sin yeah so fred fred drew on some of paul's writings reflecting on the fall um in in his uh, letter to the romans talking about how our our natural state um is one that is tainted by sin which is not Mm. necessarily a idea of humanity that we would see preached uh around our world today but drawing on the truths in, in Paul's writings, that that is our, our natural state mm-hmm. um, as we kind of live in this world and something that we need rescuing in, which was the uplifting part of his message. Yeah, that We know part. how the story goes in terms of the person of Jesus Christ. So yes, it was not necessarily the most uplifting topic that Fred was so happy to preach on, Right, uh, but there obviously is excellent news. Yeah. Um, that we can dwell on, yeah. There it is. Such an encouraging, mm-hmm. uplifting message uh, that we were able to receive uh, from Fred on Sunday. But like I said, there was a few questions that came in. There were. Uh, the first being, and I quote, why did God respond the way he did cursing humanity? It seems like a bit of an overreaction to Adam and Eve eating an apple. And you know what? I always think of it as an apple. Everything depicts the apple. 
I feel like the apple has a bad rap. We don't know what type of fruit it was, so I just want to start off the show. Definitely a Macintosh. Probably a Macintosh. Nobody apple. likes Macintoshes. <laughs> you don't have to feel bad about Mac eating an apple yeah. as you listen to the show. Uh, but why did God respond the way he did? Yeah, it's not about the apple. It's about what the apple represents. That's my answer. I will elaborate. Okay, elaborate. Um, because up until this point, Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we see revealed in the scriptures is that God is the one who determined what is good and evil. And so like in Genesis chapter 1, that systematic kind of overview of the creation of the world after every day, he says it is good because mm-hmm. he is the one that determines what is good and evil. And and so then in the creation of the garden and, and humanity, we see God give this command to Adam and Eve, um, instructing them that they are to eat of any tree in the garden except one, right? Except the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the name of that tree is not a coincidence, right? Like I think it speaks to the, the meaning of this, this passage in, in, mm. in terms of the fall. Um, because what we see happen when Adam and Eve eat from this tree entitled the knowledge of good and evil, it's what they're really doing is, is not trusting God in his definition of what is good and right and beautiful and what isn't. Um, He had ordered the world in a particular way and he obviously gave them this command and, and in not listening and in eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, really they're just trying to play God themselves Right. in, in, rejecting and not trusting uh, the the way in which he instructed them to live and trying to kind of take control themselves. And so, yeah, not really about the apple, but certainly the apple kind of represents all of, again, all of that in the nature of sin and what exactly happened in the garden. Right. And um, like we said, not just eating an apple, God's not going to punish you for that, but what it represents today. And I think sin today is the exact same way. We, we like to choose what's right and wrong mm-hmm. in our own lives, mm-hmm. uh, what feels good, what, what pleases us, mm-hmm. uh, what we think is going to lead us to happiness. Yep. Um, and ultimately, um, when we play those sequences out into their fruition, uh, I think we often realize um, that sin is just that it's choosing ourselves what we desire and not mm-hmm. trusting God, mm-hmm. that his will is the good and perfect will. Mm-hmm. Well said. Another question, a big one that uh, I know I've wrestled with, probably everybody at some point in their lives has. Uh, the question is, where did God come from? Where did God come from? It's actually a very simple answer. Wow. To, to give a lot harder one to grasp. I would say. Right. Um, I think the simplest way to say it is that God always just like was. Has been. He has been. Right. If we think right at the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so right off the bat, we see the scriptures telling us that like God preceded the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so it's a simple answer. It's, Again, that's it's like trying to unwrap like the Trinity. It's like we can we can describe it and and associate words to it. Fully coming to full understanding of how that actually works is tricky, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I think you have to just ultimately trust that what the scriptures reveal um, 
what God has re revealed to us through the scriptures is something that we can hold as truth, even if we don't necessarily fully understand that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're presented with a God in, in the Genesis passages, these early ones of, of a triune God, yeah. uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. You don't necessarily see it unpacked that way in Genesis, but certainly later writers like Paul, reflecting back, certainly see the and think of the opening words of John's gospel. Right. Um, pointing to the fact that this was the triune God um, yeah. creating out of the overflow of their love. And I mean, you get glimpses of it in the Genesis passage as well. I think of 126, let us make man, or let in us make image. human beings in our image, right? Yeah. That plurality of our this, image. Yeah, the, the triune God creating. And so where did God come from? Uh, he came from nowhere. He always just has been. He has been. And I know for me, that's a question I'm going to ask, try to wrap my yeah, mind exactly. around that one day. Um, but I think it is important to kind of pause on that, the idea of the triune God who always has been. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of like Christ's redemption mm -hmm. and the figure of Christ mm -hmm. wasn't like an afterthought. Yeah. He has always been. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Um, it honestly ties right back into the first question too, because yeah. because he has always been, and he is the divine triune creator. He is the one who ultimately is the only one who has the authority to dictate what is, what right. is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And so, mm. um, we didn't plan that, but those questions definitely kind of Tied work together. well together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So number three, in Genesis three, why was the serpent? created in the first place the question hypothetically mm -hmm. states imagine that the serpent had not been created there would be no fall of humanity um and i think um uh, it's a fair question uh, i think we may be giving the snake a bit more credit than it's due yeah uh there's a few things in there um i feel like what you're alluding at is the idea that like Satan or the devil or whatever term you want to use to describe him isn't the snake. He just took the form of a snake in this passage. Mm -hmm. um, and that opens up an entirely other conver other conversation in terms of the origins of uh, what we call the devil uh, I mean, preceding, preceding the Genesis passage. We're not going to dive into that. Um but what I think speaks into this question and what Fred actually alluded to in his, in his sermon, if we try and keep the question or at least my response focused on the, on, on the sermon is that it wasn't just the devil's or the serpent's fault that for the fall or for, for Adam and Eve eating from the tree, like humanity played an integral role yeah. in that, um, in the unfailing of this story. Right. So we see in, in Genesis three, after they've eaten from the tree, God confronts Adam first. And what what does Adam do? He redirects the blame to Eve. Mm -hmm. So God confronts Eve. And what does Eve do? She redirects the blame to the serpent. And so then when we see God responding to this situation with the curses, which Fred beautifully described as just the removal of God's blessing and protection, mm -hmm. um, he does present a curse upon the snake but he also presents one upon the man and upon the woman because 
While the serpent certainly played an integral role in this story, the serpent at no point forced anything upon them. Right. Right. Like they they willingly did that themselves under the coercion of some false truths that the serpent did speak. Um, but in terms of if we come back to the question, like if if there was no serpent, then there would have been no fall. And like I get it. Get where that question's coming from but that question just assumes that that adam and eve were completely innocent in this scenario and what i think we learned from the passage is that well the whole takeaway from the passage is that they were not innocent yeah it was their uh, actions that led mm-hmm. to the consequence of yeah. sin and i think it speaks to a bigger idea of of creation and and the opportunity for sin to exist um i think as we understand, like God created us uh, in His be- uh, image, in his, in His likeness, to bear His image mm-hmm. and to reciprocate the love that He had, that He created out of, created out yeah. of exactly. And so, in this love, in creating beings to respond to His love, mm-hmm. um, with the choice, there's also the choice to turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in opening that opportunity up, yeah there was the opportunity to sin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an unfortunate evil that exists. Uh, we weren't created to be robots, right? Mm-hmm. Just to praise and worship yeah. God, but to truly experience love and relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like in order for us to love, the choice like has to be there or else it's not love is I guess what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, and we so weren't that, forced into yeah, anything. And so automatically that just opens the door for the possibility to of, turn away from God's mm, goodness mm-hmm. um, and his perfect, mm-hmm. right, true will. Um, and so um, if we look kind of beyond even the scope of the story of the serpents and Adam and Eve, we see that in God's love, um, there's there's a vulnerability, the opportunity for rejection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now we praise God because we know the end of the story mm-hmm. in Christ. Yeah, we know it comes full circle that we have a way mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, to answer the question, the uh, the hypothetical question, mm-hmm. it's not about the serpent. Yeah. Not even about the enemy. Yeah. The serpent is, played a role, but yeah, the the story is mainly about about humanity. Rejecting, rejecting the way that God intended the, for them to live exactly. and for them to trust him. Hmm. Okay. And that leads us kind of pretty well into our f- final question that we received. And it's, it's this, often we hear that God is a God of second chances and throughout the Bible and history, we see him give grace and second chances to so many. We see it time and time again, this God of grace mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is: So why did we not give? Why did he not give a second chance to Adam and Eve? It's almost a resignation that uh, humans would ultimately disobey yeah. in this rejection from the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's certainly truth to that statement, and I probably I think they understate it in terms of God is a God of second chances. If you are familiar with the story of the Israelites, God <laughs> is a God of one million chances. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, Time seventh, and time yeah. and time again, he gives them another chance. Um, and so I think that the, the question is starting from a really good place. Um, when I first saw that question, I, I first thought of a, a verse that our life group has, has spent significant time in, uh, in Exodus 34, where... 
Um, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, presented with the tablets and the commandments, and they come down, and they're already worshiping other gods, breaking <laughs> the first commandment, speaking of second chances. So then Moses goes up, um, and as he's interacting with God on this mountain, this is what God claims of himself to Moses. So these aren't human words attributed to God. These are words that God attributes to himself, where it says, mm. uh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so that's, that's the verse that kind of came to me that says like, yes, God is definitely a God of grace and a God of second or third or fourth or fifth chances. Um, Mm-hmm. But what definitely can't be lost in the garden and the fall is that God is also a holy God, right? He is set mm. apart. And we get glimpses of that throughout the scriptures in terms of how the writers speak of God. But even if you think of like, I was reading the story of Moses in the burning bush today. And and as as Moses approaches God, he says, remove your sandals for this is holy ground. Mm. Like there is, there is a holiness that, that, um, a sanctity that cannot expose itself to, to sin, sin. to sin. Yeah. Well, you see that really clearly, Mm -hmm. um, in the tabernacle, in the temple, Mm -hmm. all of the requirements, all the requirements to get to the holy of holies where God presided for the Israelite people. And there was so much, um, like it was such a sacred place yeah. that you couldn't, um, like it just, there was mm. such a reverence for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you're alluding yeah, to. Yeah, and, and again, like what we're trying to do with this series is to, to, to present the whole scripture as a unified story. And so, yes, there's different books of the Bible and different genres and there's different individual stories, but we're, we're presenting it at least and highlighting in this series that, that it, there is an overarching story. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of this question in regards to the grand story of a narrative of the Bible, yes, in this particular passage, God did not give a second chance. He removed them from the garden. Mm-hmm. But when this passage is viewed in the large scale narrative arc of the Bible, he did give us a second chance. Certainly. Right? Like he, through his son, welcomed us back into the garden and again as we've been talking defining the garden not just as this garden um in the garden of eden but this shared space between god and man where we Mm -hmm. enjoy beautiful and perfect union and communion with him and so i fully support that god is a god of second chances and i think the overall shape and narrative of the scriptures certainly supports that and and yeah so Mm -hmm. as as the arc of the story develops we do mm-hmm. see ultimate restoration yeah, in Christ. Yeah, and that welcoming back into this loving communion with the Father, uh, this time to stay, mm-hmm. right? Because as we know, the story goes with, um, with Adam and Eve, what kept them in the garden was their ability to remain faithful to the ways in which God has instructed them to live. And what we can now reflect on being on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we are invited into garden life, as I guess you could say. Um, and are, we're invited into that garden life and provided the opportunity to remain firmly planted there, not because of our ability to mm-hmm. live exactly the way that God intends for us to live, but because of Jesus, 
because he is the one that has invited us in and that the reason we are qualified to be there is because of what he has done on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think of the verse in Ephesians, um, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift, gift of God. Of God. Yeah, and so what a beautiful but also reassuring um, passage and truth that we can cling to that as followers of Jesus, um, those who have put our faith and trust in him, that we get this opportunity to quite simply live life with God, um, to have this shared space with God, not because of how well we perform as followers of Jesus, but because we can rest in the sufficiency of Christ. Mm. Um, And so worrying about where exactly we sit with God is not something that necessarily needs to preoccupy each and every moment of our life wondering where we're going to end up or whether we're in God's good or bad books that we can rest in his sufficiency, seeking to live as he intends, Mm -hmm. uh, finding the joy in, in kingdom life here on earth. uh, But ultimately knowing that our, our, um, our hope and our trust and our faith um, ultimately sits in and with the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And on that note, encouraging note, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast, um, which is good. We're getting questions. We love to hear your questions. Mm -hmm. So thanks for for listening, engaging with uh, Sunday morning's message and throughout the week, because we want to continue the dialogue, Mm -hmm. thinking through um, the scriptures uh, and ultimately as the Bible Project puts it and how we have put it, mm-hmm. this unified story that ultimately leads, leads to, to, Jesus. to Jesus. And so uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, I encourage you to continue to uh, ask good questions, whether in life group, whether amongst the body of believers or through this network. Yep. So take care. Episode three of season two, success. Lego. Lego.